Good morning and welcome. My name's Reese. I'm the assistant pastor here at Westlake Church. And this week we're back in the book of James for another sermon. Let me just pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. I pray, Lord, this morning that you'd help us as we look at it, that you'd be at work in our hearts, that you'd grow us, that you'd challenge us, that you'd change us to be more like Jesus. Please help us as we wrestle with it, as we seek to understand it better. In your holy name we pray. Amen. So quite a few years ago now, David Beckham, the footballer, signed a $6 million four-year contract to promote Brill Cream, a hair styling product. What a great move for the Brill Cream guys. David Beckham changes his hair as often as his clothes, so you'd think they'd have lots of reasons to celebrate him signing up. However, two years into the contract, David Beckham shaved his head. <laughs> and Brill Cream sales dropped by 25%. In 2005, the Swiss watchmaker in Geneva, Raymond Wheel, signed a 14-month contract worth $3 million with actress Charlize Theron. During this period, Theron would only wear Raymond Wheel watches at any public appearance, but when she turned up to a film festival wearing a Christian Dior watch, Raymond Wheel sued Theron for $20 million for breach of contract. It's never a good sign when you sue the celebrity that you pay to endorse your product. It's safe to say that the contract was dead. What you endorse shows what you believe. If the endorser doesn't believe in the product, then the sales go down because all those who follow the endorsees won't believe in it either. Even this week, I wonder how many times that you were talking about a subject when someone chimed in with, oh, I use that product as well. It's amazing. Oh, you went to that place. Isn't the view wonderful? I would recommend that to anyone. If you have faith in something, then you do something about it. If you don't do something about it, you don't act on it, then do you really have faith in it? We can see from contracts like those just mentioned that actions speak louder than words. And that's what James is trying to get across to us in this passage today. And it's a major theme in his letter. First point, saving faith. Now, if David Beckham came out to a press conference with a shaved head and says, Brill Cream is amazing, I use it every day. Would anyone believe that if he didn't have any hair? If Charlize Theron comes out with a Christian door jaw watch on and says, Raymond Wheel creates the best hand watches of all time. Would anyone believe that? If someone walks into church and says, I'm really hungry, I haven't had money to buy food all week. And someone replies, oh, well, I've got a wonderful Heavenly Father who I can find fulfilment in. He's loving, compassionate and generous. Now, go in peace and may your hunger be satisfied. Bye. Would you believe them? Would you believe that they had faith in a God like that? What a ridiculous situation. How could anyone believe someone who said that they had a loving, generous God, 
but walked away from a hungry person without giving them any food when they had that option and ability. And James gives us a story like this in verse 15 and 16, and it's shocking. You could make a comedy sketch of it because it's such a wrong way to respond. James explains that if anyone acted like this in verse 17, then it shows that their faith is dead. How can they believe their God is who they say he is and not reflect that in their actions? It's not genuine faith. Now this chapter brings up controversy for some in the Christian world because people held up the teachings of Paul and James and ask, do they contradict each other? Are we saved by faith or by faith and works? And let me put it simply for you. There's nothing that we can do to earn or add to our salvation by anything that we do. Our salvation is through Christ alone. Jesus said on the cross, it is finished. And Hebrews tells us that our great high priest Jesus sits down at the right hand of the Father because his salvation work was done. He'd saved us. It's done, finished. But as our faith grows, our love for him leads us to the sanctifying work of change within us. And often that also shows itself through good works. And remember, James isn't writing a systematic theology here. It's a letter of wisdom influenced by the Sermon of the Mount. And the situation that James is writing into is different to the situations that Paul addresses. He's looking at faith similarly to how Jesus would write about it in the parables, like a seed that's planted and expected to grow. In our last sermon in James, we looked at God's wisdom producing in us good fruits. And James is writing to the persecuted Christians, if you remember from chapter one. They've had to flee their homes. Some of them may even have had family who've been killed because of their faith in Christ. They don't need to be reminded that their faith is in Christ alone. But as they've moved away from that persecution to more comfortable situations, quieter villages, away from the fray in Jerusalem, they need reminding that they need to keep acting on their faith. Paul, who's known for being systematic, helps us to look at it in a different way. In Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 to 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Helpfully, Paul also tells us why we've been saved by grace through faith. In this next verse, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Paul says that we've been created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God's already prepared for us to do and that we should be doing. So if we're not doing these good works, are we allowing God to work in us? 
it can be easy for us to intellectually know that Jesus is um, who he is and know what he's done for us. But there's a danger that it doesn't go any further than that, isn't there? That leads us back to James chapter 2, verse 14. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? Now, James is helping us think about what faith actually is. He's showing us that our works are a sign that our faith is alive. When you buy a product, you can know it's genuine by looking at the trademark on it. Good works, James is teaching us, are the trademark of saving faith. Martin Luther summed it up by saying, we are saved by faith alone, but faith that saves is never alone. Works are a necessary result of faith. Think about it. When we're saved, you receive the Holy Spirit, whose desire and passion is to change us to be more like Jesus. Would God send himself to live in our hearts and do nothing for our entire lives? No, these verses from James may sound like harsh language, but James wants to get across this crucial message. We have to make sure that our faith in God is rooted in Christ alone and that we are producing good fruit because faith without works is dead. And that leads us to our next point, dead faith. In the year 1544, Ulrich Ruffiner was contracted to build a bridge across a river in Valais to the village of Stolden. And when he'd finished it, his contractor took a look at the bridge and told him that he would only receive his pay if it was still standing the following year. They had no faith that the bridge was going to last. Here's the bridge nearly 500 years later, and here's my son Joshua standing on it in complete faith. I wonder if you've ever looked at a rickety old bridge and thought, I wonder if it will hold me. Maybe you stepped tentatively across it, holding onto the sides, or maybe you went across it as quickly as you could so that you could get off as soon as possible. Looking at a bridge and saying that you will cross it and actually crossing it are two different things, aren't they? James is getting at this in verse 18 here. But someone will say, You have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. We're encouraged in school and university and maybe even work to compartmentalise our faith, to keep it to ourselves. Uh, It's just something that you're supposed to pass the time with on Sunday. The world says that faith is just something that you keep inside your mind. It can be easy to say that we have faith, even tell our baptism story or how we came to hear the gospel for the first time. We can talk and talk and talk about it. It can be easy to love God in our minds, but does that move us to action? 
James sees faith as more than an intellectual exercise. We can't just claim to have faith. He says that is dead faith. And James goes on to say something that really can stun us. Verse 19. You believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Isn't it shocking that the demons believe some of the same things as you and I? And they don't just believe, they know them to be true. If we speak truth and know truth, but all it does is cause us to shudder like the demons, then what is the point of that? The demons know the truth and they fearfully hate it, shuddering because of God's judgment, knowing that God's plans will prevail. And we too can shudder at the thought that God's plans and purposes will come against our loving plans and desires. Or we could shudder against the people, the fear of people instead of the fear of God. When answering a questioning scribe about the most important commandment in Mark chapter 12, Jesus states the same truth. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Listen to what he says next. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and all your strength. It's not just all our mind, is it? The right response to this truth is to love God with everything that we have. Unlike the demons who don't love God. If we stop for a moment and think, what has God done for us? Who is he and what he has brought for us? What he's done for us, what he's brought us through. He's changed our hearts. He's saved our souls, he's renewing our minds, and he gives us strength to face each day and to do good works. And Jesus then says this, the second commandment is to love your neighbour as yourself, which James reminds us of earlier in chapter 2, verse 8. If we have saving faith, then we will embrace the truth of the gospel and act accordingly. It's not about loving self, but loving others. Will we follow with wholehearted trust wherever the Lord leads us to and whatever the trials we face on the way? And if we do, then those around us will see something spectacular. They will witness saving faith. And that brings us on to point three, genuine faith. Way back in the 90s, we'd sometimes give my grandma a lift to places in my parents' car. And my parents would ask her to put her seatbelt on and she would refuse. She knew it was there for her safety, but she said that it was just too uncomfortable. She insisted on holding the little handle on the side. I don't know if you've ever been to a theme park and gone on one of those rides where you get spun upside down. They, but when you do, they bring this big retainer down over your shoulders and chest and it can feel really uncomfortable. They put it on tightly so that you can't slip or fall out. And it can even be hard to breathe. But 
if you want to go on the ride, then you know you have to wear it. You know it's saving your life, even though it's not always easy to wear. Yet James shows us that this is what having and living out faith is like. It gets us into situations which require us to make costly actions, which James illustrates by reminding us of Abraham and Rahab. Firstly then, James goes to Abraham, verses 21 to 23. The father of faith and the account from Genesis 22, where God tells Abraham to take his son, who he loves, and sacrifice him. Think about Abraham. Think of all the years that he had to doubt God's promises. But he doesn't. He goes on to do exactly what God asks him. Abraham shows his wisdom as he talks to his son. He doesn't lie to him, but shows his complete trust in God to provide the sacrificial lamb. Abraham's faith meant that he trusted God to bring about his promise that he would be a father of a great nation, even if it meant having to go through with sacrificing Isaac. He knows that God has power over life and death, and that meant that he was willing to act according to God's will, however costly that was going to be. Abraham's obedience demonstrates that he has faith in God and that he's been justified. Abraham's faith is made complete by what he did. That is always true of real, of real faith. Faith and works are inseparable, as James shows us again with this next example. Verse 25. And in the same way was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. Abraham to Rahab is one extreme to another. She's a Canaanite prostitute who hides the Israelite spies and helps them to escape. Even though she's a foreigner, she realises that God is her only hope. She believes in God, who in her words is, in Joshua chapter 2, verse 11, As soon as we heard it, our hearts melted, and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. She knew that Jericho was going to be destroyed. She knows that her neighbours, the people that she grew up with, are going to die. She knows who God is in faith. She knows what's going to happen to Jericho in faith. And she does what she can to save her and her family. Rahab acts on her faith in God because, like Abraham, she believes he's going to bring about what he has promised. These are two examples of having genuine, living faith. Rahab and her family could have been killed for this choice if they'd been found out. In genuine faith, the stakes can be high. Life can be uncomfortable. James and Paul knew that as well, and both paid for the price with their lives. Whenever Jesus saw a need, he acted on it. And the Gospels are full of instances where Jesus sees or hears 
someone with a need and he helps out even when he's tired or even when he's dying, remember, when he sees his mother's need and he tells John, who, who were watching at the cross, he tells John to look after her. Always thinking about his father and about others. What an amazing witness Jesus is and what an amazing king. No cost was too great for the love that he has for us. No situation was too uncomfortable for him to go through. He always stood for what was right, whatever the cost. Will our faith take us to follow in our King's footsteps and to go out and love in costly ways? Going back to Ephesians, the verse here is really helpful. Let's think about what good works God has prepared for us to do. Who have you planned to see today? And who might you bump into? Neighbours, friends, church friends? Do you think it's by chance that you meet those people? Or because God has already prepared for you to do so? What are the reasons and the barriers that stop us doing good works? Is your schedule jam-packed? It's too full to do any good works that God's prepared for you to do. Or are you too tired? Why is that? Are there any lifestyle choices that you could maybe change to help you not be so tired? And even if you have small children, can you find a way to call someone or help them out while your kids sleep or in school? Just be there for someone maybe. You might think your house is too messy or you might just want a bit more me time. There are lots of things that can get in the way of us sharing our faith and allowing it to be genuine. It could be pride or it could be the fear of losing something like respect or power or how we look to those around us. If you want to let people know that you're a Christian, it's by what you do or don't do that will show them that your faith is genuine. If you don't want them to know, then why is that? In every area of our lives, from the small to the big actions, we can live out our faith, whether that's how we use our tongue or how we face trials. Because like Abraham and Rahab, we can trust completely that God is bringing about his promises. In chapter 2, verse 5, James reminded us of the wonderful promise that God made to us, that we've been chosen to be rich in faith and heirs of his kingdom being made mature, all because of what Jesus achieved at the cross. Living faith holds nothing back from God because you genuinely trust him. And it means that you're ready to give to those in need around you. If they need food or clothing, if you can meet their need, then we can help them out because we know that God will keep his promises and with his help, we can do anything. And you don't have to be a celebrity to endorse truth. How you live your life will show what really matters to you. And the reward will be far greater than any multi-million dollar contract. <laughs>